and welcome to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm Ryan. And I'm Brian. And welcome back to the Bistro. Yeah, here we are. It's the Thanksgiving episode. Well, it's we're recording this the day before Thanksgiving, right. but it's for Advent. <laughs> right, so, it is an Advent episode, really. But it is an we're, doing, we're doing Thanksgiving kind of things, although you have some illness in your family. So We do. We have, we have received the gift that keeps on giving, which I believe <laughs> is influenza type A. I haven't oh, got geez. it, but our kids. Right. So well, anyway, we're that. taking it easy at home. And yeah, so we're actually, we're, coo- we're, I'm actually cooking a turkey while I'm doing this. I, I'm, I'm a multitasker. I'm, I'm recording this episode and cooking a turkey at the same time. Oh my God. Is Maybe it I'll succulents? Upload, maybe I'll upload pictures. My pic, my turkeys come out really nice. I'm just saying. Do they? It's not like uh, National Lampoons where they cut it and no, it like no, cuts open. No. no, it's a beautiful turkey. It's moist. It's it's delicious. It's... <laughs> Wrong podcast. Okay. <laughs> Stay tuned, and we'll give you the turkey recipe for. Oh, the turkey recipe you've all been dying for. Yeah. Anyway, so what do you, what do you like for sides for your Thanksgiving? I am uh, dressing. Like, I'm a huge dressing fan. And my mom makes some that I really enjoy. And you always ask her for the recipe. Yeah, you ask her for the recipe. And she's like, I don't know. I just put some stuff in the pan. (laughs) And I'm like, I like her spaghetti recipe. I'm a big fan of that. (laughs) What was that stuff? What was that other stuff we had that one time? It was really good. Um, the other stuff we had that uh, one it was time. It was mixed, some stuff mixed together. I don't remember what it was. It was good, though. That is the essence <laughs> of every recipe. <laughs> there was some, some stuff, stuff you mixed mix it together. together, and it was good. Well, anyway, we, we have we have several <laughs> good things that we eat for Thanksgiving. But anyway, we're I, we're thankful for our listeners. Yes, and, we're thankful uh, that that you're joining us here post Thanksgiving. That you've held on with us after our <laughs> devil episode last yeah. day, the Satan episode. To hell with the we, devil. The hell with the devil. We had some great feedback on that. Yeah. People liked it. Thinking about get, some. Co- I haven't listened to it yet. Did we? Did we get to add a little striper in there, or was it? I'm sorry. No Post production. Oh. But but well, I want to say this. If you'd like to join us on Patreon, we would have more money <laughs> to pay for rights to Striper, and we can thought, insert it in this podcast. I thought you were going to say if we if we raise enough money, then then we will do a cover. You and I will do a cover. Oh my of gosh! Stripers if we to get hell with the devil, if we get fifty patrons, this is a large pull. Fifty. 50 I'm, wow. I'm listen. If, if if we're going to do a cover of Striper and put That's on spandex true. and put on hair and really go for it. <laughs> We got to have... No, I didn't say we were dressing up like Striper, but anyway. Well, I, would, I will I dress up like Striper. <laughs> so this is your chance, yeah, everyone. You Gather go. around. There you go. Go to our website. Support I'll, the I'll work it up on guitar and I don't yeah. know. Yeah. And I'll... Maybe play some keyboards or... Something. Bass, we'll make it maybe? happen. Okay. Anyway, enough, enough uh, of that. Uh, it's enough Advent of this. season. It's Advent, and we're gonna we're jumping into it here. Yeah, it's hard to believe. So we did Advent last year, just kind of some short reflections, and um, yeah. it was it was well received. And uh, then this is this is kind of the end of our season. The way that we we work these, so this will be the end of season two, and yes. uh, we'll take a little hiatus to work up some material and to plan some. We have some good uh, interviews coming up, and so yeah. we can work we out some new jokes. <laughs> Maybe to keep you entertained at the beginning. Mm. Yeah, no. Well, I wouldn't be hopeful for that. The uh, maybe I could I could ask for a new joke book for Christmas. But anyway, yes. uh, so so what I thought I would look at we we looked at four 
prophecies last last um, year when we looked at Advent, and and I'm looking at four prophecies again this year, and and basically I'm using the standard lectionary. There, there are four, all four from Isaiah this year. I, I think maybe I mentioned to you earlier that Isaiah I preached through earlier this year in the congregation where I serve, and and uh, Isaiah, of course, you know, 66 chapters. There's a lot you can do in Isaiah. And so all four of these passages we're going to be looking at during Advent are from from Isaiah. I think I've mentioned this before. There's one of the early church fathers that that uh, calls Isaiah the fifth gospel. Have I mentioned that before? Uh, uh, on the, uh, I think so. Yeah. And you know, just it, we find Isaiah quoted so much in the Gospels, and so much of it seems to be a reference to Jesus. So, a couple of interesting things. So the the first week of Advent, uh, and again, Advent is just this time uh, leading up to Christmas, where we remember. Um, the way that the anticipation for Jesus was was there, and also we have that same anticipation for his his return. I'll remind you um, mm-hmm. that it's a it's a time of waiting, it's a time of expectation and anticipation um, is what's going on. And the first week of Advent is usually centered around hope, the theme of of hope, and so that's what this passage here is from Isaiah chapter two. Uh, verses one through five. That's what the lectionary gives us for the for the prophecy for this this uh, week. Let me go ahead and re- I'll read this, and then I'll have you read Micah four a little bit later. But uh, okay, verse one says, "This is what Isaiah son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem." And I'll stop there just to say this: it's interesting. It's an interesting wording here because literally what it says is, "This is the word that Isaiah saw." <laughs> so it's kind of a kind of a mixed metaphor there. In a way, this is uh, you know when we see when we have a prophet, a prophet talking about seeing something, we usually call that visionary, you know, a vision. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is the word that Isaiah saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And then verse two says, "In the last days," we should probably come back and say something about that phrase. But in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted among the, above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord." So there's this uh, this passage from Isaiah two, and again we're thinking about the theme of hope. The whole, in a way, the whole season of Advent is a is a time of expectation, a time of waiting. Uh, we're we're thinking about the way that God's people waited for a long time for this promised Messiah, and that's really what's being talked about here. This this time when God was going to send this this King who was going to judge with righteousness, and, and things were going to be different than they had been um, before. Uh, so during the season, we put ourselves in an attitude of waiting and an attitude of, of expectation. Uh, God had made these promises to his people, yet there was still still a time uh, of waiting. Now, the interesting thing about this, to me at least, this interesting thing about this Isaiah 2 is there is almost a, an exact parallel 
in Micah chapter 4. Now, Micah, we've talked about a little bit previously, but Micah is a contemporary of of Isaiah. In fact, if you look at Micah chapter 1, verse 1, we're not going to read it today, but it talks about that Micah's ministry took place during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And, And of course, that's that's parallel to the to Isaiah's early ministry. You might remember the the year that King Uzziah died um, is uh, chapter six and kind of uh, Isaiah's calling. And then we see Ahaz is the theme as we've talked about before of Isaiah chapter seven. Uh, and then later on Hezekiah. You might remember the episode we did on Hezekiah's prayer. It's actually been a very popular <laughs> episode, surprisingly. But that is during the period of Isaiah chapter 36 through 39 in that period of time. So so Micah is a contemporary of Isaiah, but read Micah chapter four, and I want you to notice the similarities and see if see if you can pick out any differences in what you heard in Isaiah chapter two. All right. Uh, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many, nation, many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. That last part of Micah 4 is part of the difference we see. We see it kind of end in a different way, but other than that, it's pretty similar. Do you see the, mm-hmm. see the similarities? Did you notice any other differences there? Um, that's if, <clears throat> Under their own fig tree, I thought. Yeah, that, that ending... Yeah, that ending. Yeah, I mean, that, there, mm-hmm. yeah, that whole ending there. Yeah, that's um, that's an, a different, and I won't say an addition, but there's there's a question of did Micah say this first, and then Isaiah uh, put it in his book, or vice versa? How how do we understand this? Again, they're they're contemporaries. Um, this word apparently was important enough that it needed to be you know repeated in that. Yeah, I I don't. Gosh, man, I don't I don't know if there's much else that I noticed that was yeah. different. I'm sure there is that you're gonna show. Yeah, it to well, me. it's 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 pretty <laughs> it's actually a pretty minor difference. It's the word the word for for peoples is am. Uh, you know, the, the for people is am, and the word for nations is goy or goyim, and those are transposed in two different places, which is interesting. But again, in in prophecy, like Hebrew poetry, we find these parallels that are very very similar, and so. Mm-hmm. So it's essentially the same same thing. <clears throat> so let's talk a little bit about the meaning here. Um, the context, again, both of these are contemporary. Both Micah and Isaiah are writing uh, during the reigns of uh, uh, Jotham and Ahaz. Uh, it's a time where the Samaritans, or <laughs> the Samaritans, the, the um, Assyrians were pressing in against the Samaritans. And the prophecy is about basically that Samaria is going to be destroyed, but Judah is going to be preserved. But mm-hmm. it's a time of relative. I would I would use the term powerlessness. Uh, it, it's a time for Judah, and that's who Micah is talking to, and that's really who who um, Isaiah is talking to for the most part during their ministries. Um, it, it's a time where things don't seem like they're going very well, but it's a time where this there's this need for hope. 
there's this need for an expectation that God's promises are going to are, are going to take place. So a few things that I, I want you to notice uh, again, if you look at the very beginning of this, in the last days is kind of a it's kind of a general general phrase, but it's a future oriented kind of thing. We still talk about this today. If we talk about well, in the last days, we mean in the days that are not yet, in the days that are to come. It's what days. we're saying. And there are some people who will make a very specific kind of chart or outline uh, timeline of these last days. But really, as I've said before, we we have been in the last days, uh, I would say, in, in God's uh, next to his next to the last or penultimate um, part of his redemptive plan from the time of, of Jesus ascension from his resurrection ascension as we are waiting for his return. So we've been in the last days throughout this entire period of time. Um, you know, the last days, Pentecost, we see that phrase being used. We see it in Paul's epistles. There's this expectation that it's going to be soon. Soon Jesus is going to return. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we're still waiting. We're still in this period of waiting. Uh, so again, Advent is a time of expectation waiting, not only as we think about the way that God's people waited a long time for, for Jesus mm-hmm. to come, but it's also this period of waiting we find ourselves in when we are expecting uh, Christ's return when everything's going to be made right. So that's in the last days. Then he uses this illustration of the mountain of the Lord's temple, now, how do we usually refer to the mountain of the Lord's temple? What what do we usually call that? I know you know this. Mount Zion, temple yeah, mountain. Mount Zion. Um, so the mountain of the Lord's temple, uh, and and I'll say this, and I really like the Micah passage. I should have said something about this earlier. You still have Micah four there. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll come back to those last few verses here in just a minute. So don't don't move away from there yet. But mountains were associated with places where gods dwelt. Right, uh, and I'm just talking in a general sense with all these cultures. Mountains were seen as as places where you built temples. Um, and this is this reference like the high places? Yeah, like the where high they places. Built altars in the high places. There's an example. You know, when we talk about the high places, it's saying that these are places that are up, literally up high. It's places where we have temples built. Uh, you might think about the temple that the Samaritans built on Mount Gerizim as an example. Of this so so these mountains are often associated with gods. Even later, and this is a later period of time, but you think about Mount Olympus and you see what I'm saying? It's this this idea that the mountains are where the gods live is kind of the idea. But what Isaiah is getting across, again, this is a time where Judah is relatively powerless, but they're looking forward to this time where the mountain of the Lord's temple is going to be exalted. Uh, And they're they're basically, uh, what, what Isaiah's prophecy is basically saying is, is the mountain, Mount Zion is not like these other mountains. Uh, it is superior. It, it is a. It is going to have a universal, and that's kind of one of the terms I would use here: is a universal appeal. Um, is what Mount Zion is going to be. So you see, it's interesting because the mountains are high places, but it says that the Mount, Mount Zion will be kind of exalted. Uh, there's going to be this time where it's going to be the highest of the mountains, right? Um, it, it, it's not talking about a literal kind of shift, I think, uh, but it more has to do with um, it, it's going to be the place that is treated as the as the most significant and the highest of these of these places. Um, so that's the first first kind of just context thinking about this this idea of the mountains or the places where where the gods live. Another thing that you might see here in your English Bibles, uh, I know not everybody's following along in their Bible right now, but 
the word Lord is spelled two different ways. Uh, you, you find Lord with a capital L, but then small O-R-D, and then you find, it's called small caps techni- technically, but uh, capital L and then O-R-D in small caps. And, uh-huh. and those are there's two different Hebrew words that are behind those. The word Lord with a small case is is Adon, which is just the word for sir or just a word for, um, uh, you know, any kind of title of respect for someone. But the mm-hmm. word capital L-O-R-D, we've talked about before, when God revealed himself to Moses, and Moses, this is in uh, Exodus chapter 3, and, and Moses asked his name, uh, God says, you tell them that I am has sent you. And and the word here is Yahweh. Uh, it's a word that um, uh, we don't really exactly know how to pronounce because um, the, the, there is a group of ancient Jewish people called the Masoretes that took it so seriously that they didn't even put any vowel sounds in here so so that they would not they took seriously that admonition do not take Yahweh's name in name. vain right that mm-hmm. literally it's you know do not take the name of Yahweh in vain um, and so they never wanted to miss you know, misuse his name. So they would just say a dome, which is just, a, again, a title of respect. Um, but the word Lord here, basically he's saying that, that Yahweh is not some, I don't know, tribal deity. It, it's not, you know, the idea is it's not, he, he's not just like all these other gods. He is the creator God. And that's really, as we've seen when we talked about Exodus a few weeks ago, that's what we see over and over again is kind of the the primary point of 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 the law because the Israelites are coming in contact with the Canaanites and with these other groups that have their own gods. Right. And and so what, what this is saying over and over again is that is your God is the true God. He is the God who is, who is the creator. He's the one who's over all of these other gods. And so this idea of the exaltation of Mount Zion, the place where his temple is being exalted above all these other places where the gods dwell is to show his greatness, his, that he is, he is the true God uh, over all of these things. So does that, does yeah. that make sense, what you see there? Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, as you're seeing that now, like the Lord's temple will be established at the highest of the mountains. Like, highest this, of the mountains. Mm-hmm. The, 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 he's exalted above the hill. Like yep. it's this idea that like this is the, the the temple will be established at the highest. It will dwarf everything yep. else that's around it. Yeah, yeah. again, not, not literally being, you know, Altitude wise, raised above right. all the others, but but in terms of prestige and importance, and, mm-hmm. and again, the, so I know I keep saying this, but think about this: this is a time where Judah is relatively weak uh, mm-hmm. at, at this point, rel- relatively speaking. Um, uh, and I and I was thinking, sorry, I interrupt no, here. Fine. I was also thinking about this: like this message of hope comes in right after yeah. Isaiah is also kind of giving them a tongue lashing at mm-hmm. the same time because yeah. they've walked away. Mm-hmm. But that's you know God saying yeah. like you you are beaten down because of this, right? And we're going to see this invitation at the in Isaiah's version again. There's a difference between Micah's um, the way that he ends this this um, prophecy and the way Isaiah does. But Isaiah kind of ends it with, uh, and some people see this as the beginning of the next section, but with an invitation here: Come, let us walk together in the light of the Lord, you know, basically, uh, well, and, and let me, let me go ahead and then we'll come to this invitation here in a minute. I think we'll see the significance. So there's, there's three ways here, at least that we see, um, Mount Zion exalted, uh, this, this hope, this is again, it's expectation, right? It's a promise for the future. It's, it's hope. Uh, it's something that will happen in the future. The first is that Mount Zion will be a, a place of attraction for all people. 
Uh, and again, this is part of this idea that God is not simply the God of Israel, but he is the God of all people. And so it, it says there's a time coming when all of the nations will come to Mount Zion. And, and it's this image of them streaming up. We talked about this idea of a highway for our Lord, I think, in, a, in another episode, uh, is this idea that, that Zion that Jerusalem will be the place that people are streaming to uh, a place with it where they're looking to. Um, and it says here, here's part of this invitation. It says, uh, basically the nations will say to one another, come, let's go up to the mountain of Yahweh. Um, so it's, it's, it's basically saying that the people are going to have this desire. These nations are going to have this desire to go up uh, to Jerusalem and they're going to worship the Lord there. Uh, and so that's the first promise uh, that I think we see. The second is that Mount Zion would be, be a place we could say where where wisdom and justice is mediated is one of the ways we might say this. Uh, it basically, it says the law of the Lord is going to come out from Mount Zion, right? The law, uh, and and it's the idea of all these teachings. We will learn these things is is the uh, part of the language here, um, and uh, so it's going to be a place He will teach us His ways that we may walk in His paths. So all of the nations are going to learn the way of the Lord is the idea. It's going to become a place of. Uh, what we, we call it universal teaching or universal wisdom, you might say, that wisdom and righteousness is going to come out from Mount Zion and is going to go to all people, a uh, place of wisdom there. And then the last thing is, and this is kind of the most, most, um, uh, the most, how do I say this, the most concrete images that we have here in terms of metaphor is that Mount Zion will be a source of peace. So the nations are going to go up there, and it's going to be a place of peace. Um, the image here that's so strong is that the weapons of war are going to be used instead for agriculture and commerce. Um, so they're going to, and this is this is a famous image, right? Beating um, uh, uh, swords into plowshares. Um, it, it, these weapons are not going to be used any longer for war, but instead they're going to be used for tilling the ground. Um, the spears that would be used to kill another human being uh, are going to instead be used for fishing. You know, uh, they're, they're mm-hmm. going to be made into hooks. And, and so... Uh, so there's this idea. Actually, I guess it's it's pr- technically pruning, pruning hooks, right? For pruning. Um, so so for I'll, you, I'll let you I'll let you run with the fish thing too. Yeah, I'm just ready for some fishing. But but no, a, a, an agricultural image, and, and it's kind of this idea of return to Eden, right? What what God mm. intended for His people, what He intended for our relationship with Him. This idea that it would be plenty. And so again, this this idea there's going to be tilling, there's going to be pruning, and it's going to it's going to be enough for for everyone. One just slight thing, and we've talked about what peace means before, and we'll be talking about peace in a couple of weeks as well, because obviously peace is one of the one of the weeks of Advent as well to think about the promise that God has made of peace. But it's interesting here. It, it's the way I think we would think about this, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to get political here, so please don't don't misunderstand this. But we okay, would some, I'll try. We would sometimes think about peace as coming because weapons were were removed. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? In other words, mm-hmm. it's the removal of the weapons that bring peace. But the idea, the image that we have here is that there will be no longer, because there is this peace, this universal reign of, of um, God, of, of the Lord, of Yahweh, because there's this universal reign, there will no longer be any need for these weapons of war. Uh, and mm. so you, you see the difference yeah. there? It's yeah, kind so of a, it's, not the, it's, it's not the lack of weapons that bring peace. 
It's the piece that piece makes the weapons not necessary. No longer necessary. That's going to be that kind of piece, not an enforced piece, if you will, but the kind of piece that, that God is going to bring because he's reigning over all the nations. He he is the king. And and, and, and I'm, I know that's kind of a fine point, but I, for me, I mean, it, just what that speaks to is just so important. And I think the reason is this. This is what it comes down to. Um, and I say this all the time in different ways, but what we try to do by our by our power, what what we're trying to bring about uh, by our ingenuity and our you know, if you think about these things, our wisdom, our our attraction to people, that's missing the point. Uh, the whole point is we point toward the Lord God, and He is the one who draws people together, and He is the one who brings wisdom and and righteousness and justice, and He is ultimately the one who brings this peace. And we say, oh, I don't need my sword anymore. I'm going to make it into a into a hoe, and I'm going to plant a bigger garden. So we'll have even more. You know, there'll be this plenty for mm-hmm. everyone. That's the that's kind of the image that that they're looking toward. Again, Judah feeling. Think about this. Assyria was a major superpower. Egypt was a major superpower. Remember, they always felt like they were kind of right in the middle of this. Mm-hmm. And and it's no longer are we going to be in that situation. Instead, and that's the highway that we find later in Isaiah. This highway goes from Assyria, you know, to Egypt, and it's through Mount Zion. Right there's this. Everybody is coming up uh, to participate here in Mount Zion. Is kind of kind of the idea. So that's mm. the hope. The hope is, uh, you know, a hope is always a future promise, right? In the last days, this is this is the way things are going to be. These promises then are passed along. I would say to all of God's people, including us, through Jesus. Uh, that's why we read these passages. That's why Isaiah is the fifth gospel, right? That's why we read these passages at Advent. They are a reminder right. to us that these were f- looking forward to the time of Jesus. And he, this universal message is fulfilled in him. Um, and so so that's kind of what, what I'm taking away. Uh, I have some things to say about how that works out in our lives then. But any any comments yeah. or questions to this point no, on I, that? I, I really appreciate you, you pointing that out. The the it's not the lack of it. It's the peace mm-hmm. that that is the change. Like it's yeah. it's Jesus is the change. Yes, not the, not us changing our circumstance. You know what I mean? Like exactly, God mm-hmm. changes the circumstances, yeah. and then that brings the the, we, the things that we thought we needed before are are no longer needed, yeah. and He is the source. Not we don't create it ourselves. I think the story of Scripture. Uh, as I understand it, shows <laughs> in many ways over and over again when we try to take things into our own hands and and, and try to make things work um, that they don't. <laughs> that, right. That it, it it's it, it's inevitably failure, um, and you can see that from the Tower of Babel. You know, well, we'll we'll make ourselves, um, we'll, we'll make a name for ourselves. We'll we'll keep ourselves together. Um, you know, and, and you see that through Israel's failures. Um, uh, you know, just just one example: the early on in Israel's history, after they leave Egypt uh, in the Exodus, um, you see um, they fail to trust God when God says we can go in and take these. Canaanites, even if they make you look like grasshoppers, and they Israel chooses to 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 believe that 
that they're too powerful for them. And then when God says, well, that means you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 yeah. years. They try, the to road, do it, Jack. they try to do it themselves and they are utterly defeated. Uh, and then obviously the next generation, when they go in with God, walls of Jericho fall, you know, it, it, it's just a whole different story. Um, yeah. It's that is repeated over and over again, I think um, you see it in, in in the New Testament church as well. I think in the book of Acts, um, you know, when, when we try to do it our own way, it's 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 unsuccessful. Uh, when we follow, when we keep it in step with the Spirit of God, uh, when we when we do the things that He has called us to and focus upon those things, then then we're we're in a better shape. So, uh, yeah, and I and I I'm just going to say with this is like I think one of the things that I don't want us to get caught in is like, yeah, mm-hmm. God is the one that does it, but we have a responsibility sure. in that yeah. as well. Like not, we, yeah. we are not passive participants no. in this world. No, it's, it's we, us, yeah. pointing towards, you know, like pointing mm-hmm. towards Christ. Yeah. Like that, that's the mission of the church yeah. is it, to, 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 to be reconciled. We've talked about this before that, yeah. you know, our job is to, to be reconcilers, even in the world in which we live in right now, pointing towards Christ, who is the the ultimate reconciler. Right. I'll I'll, I'll make a point about this in just a minute. I'm going to talk about the okay. three different ways that we do this. But you're absolutely right. Yeah, I'm not trying to say it's just us sitting back and waiting. When when I say keeping in step with the Spirit, it's the difference between us trying to do things do things our own way, trying trying to use mm-hmm. our own wisdom and our own strength uh, rather than submitting ourselves to God's wisdom and strength. Um, let me, I was going to mention this earlier. Let's go ahead and mention this now. This is Micah chapter four, verse five. Uh, this is kind of his ending. You, you mentioned that idea. Everyone will sit under their own vine and fig tree. That's that's that way. That thing of plenty again, right? That mm. that everybody's going to be able to to cultivate their own vines and their own figs. Um, uh, no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. And by the way, there's an article on figs in the Smithsonian this month um, <clears throat> that I have yet to read, but has been really, been really highly recommended about figs in the ancient world. I'm getting looking excited, getting excited about that. But figs, <laughs> figs, and, and grapes were were really really great things. Um, but then verse five it says, "As all the nations may walk in the name of their gods." Do you see that? Um, mm-hmm. th- they're walking. So that's what I'm talking about. These tribal deities, right? These tribal gods, they may all walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of Yahweh, our God forever and ever. <clears throat> so that's the primary point. I think is to show this, um, this idea of, you know, the superiority of, uh, of Yahweh over the other gods. And, and they're looking forward to this, you know, it's not the gods of the Assyrians. It's not the gods of the Canaanites. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's the Lord God that is going to bring these things uh, to pass. So here's kind of, when you talked about us being responsible for this, then here's, here's kind of three, three things I would see. So first of all, the Mount Zion is a place of attraction for all people, right? And so you think about a new, I hadn't thought of this till just now in a new Testament term, this is where Jesus says, um, if I am lifted up, then I will draw all people to myself, right? So we point toward Jesus. We point toward the cross. And that is the point of, of attraction. So our responsibility then, I think, is proclaiming that it is now possible for all people, universally, for all nations to have access to God through Jesus now. He has, he has made that way. He has opened up uh, that path that we can now draw near to God with clear, clean, clean hearts and clean hands um, through what he's accomplished on the cross. So that's, we're, we're called to proclaim, right? Um, 
Secondly, we understand that Jesus is the source of wisdom and justice, that he is the one that we go to for understanding, uh, that he is the one that we seek truth from uh, rather than from, from some other place. And then finally, we believe that Jesus is the Prince of Peace and that it's, it's only in his return that peace will ultimately come, um, not an enforced peace. Uh, but a peace that comes because um, he has, you know, the image in, in Isaiah 2 is that he is um, he's judging between the nations, right? He's the one who's going to bring uh, this peace. And I was thinking about this, you know, we, war in Ukraine continues to go on. They're talking about a difficult winter. We've seen some of the effects even here, here locally. Um, you know, Jesus says there's always going to be wars and rumors of wars until I return. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so that, that longing that we have, so that, that anticipation, that waiting, we trust God's promise. We trust that, that this is going to, going to take place. Uh, but it is, it is a period of waiting, uh, until then. Um, and then verse five is that invitation I was talking about. So here's what it says in Isaiah 2, 5. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of, of Yahweh. Uh, so you talked about in, in chapter 1, he's kind of giving him that tongue lashing. You're not living mm-hmm. up to what, what you're supposed to be. And I think here's this idea. Okay, God is working, and his promise of future is that, that all nations are going to stream up. Therefore, Jacob... Let us live in the light of, of Yahweh. Let us walk in his righteousness is kind of the idea, um, you know, because this is the promise that we have for the future. Uh, we, we get distracted, right? We, we look at other ways of doing things or, or let's get turned aside, uh, you know, of, of trying to, to accomplish things in different ways. For me, that's the big <laughs> if I want to get political, that's the big problem with politics in the United States today is we are looking even the even the church, I think, is too often looking at our political system in order to to bring about change uh, rather than recognizing that hope is found ultimately in Christ um, and that the church, <laughs> the church is is, you know, the way that that God has established through which people are going to come to peace and, and, and come to justice with one another. So other thoughts on that or comments yeah no i mean i think that's yeah we were just talking about i was reading another book um that you're not our you are not your own by alan noble which Mm -hmm. we might talk about at some point but it's it's all about these ways of seeking meaning or purpose in your life and even like for us in the church you know as you talked about we we can look at you know we talked about the politics and all that stuff that we can look at so many different things that are going to bring about what we think is the right rightness right you know or the 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 god's kingdom or whatever but it is only god who brings god's kingdom it's not anything that we've established here right um and even the church is something outside of here you know what i mean like it is a connected it's a to god thing and so um, you know, I think that's a, that's a really important thing. And I yeah. think that's something that we always have to be considering and thinking about as we reflect on our own lives yeah. and what, what that means. Well, the passage I'd kind of chosen to then finish this up in a new Testament passage, Romans chapter eight and starting in verse 18, I think goes right along with that. And I'm thinking about what you said earlier about the responsibility we have, uh, of, of promoting the kingdom, as we always say, you know, God has established the kingdom in Christ and we are to be agents of, of that kingdom 
um, change taking place in our lives. I always say, you know, starts with us, families and our communities, uh, our church communities, you know, that that's, that's where these changes begin. Um, and, and here's how Paul talks about it in Romans eight. I, I kind of very hopeful anticipatory language here. I love, I really love, of course, Romans eight's just, I mean, there's a lot happening. You can't, you can't get better in Romans eight. Uh, you know, it's been called for, for years, the high point of kind of the, the entirety of God's revelation, but uh, I don't know. I don't know about that, but uh, John's not shabby either. But uh, but Romans eight's pretty good. Um, this last part, though, in in verse eighteen, um, you know, hope is always, as I said, future oriented, last days, right? And so here he says, I consider that our present sufferings. So this is where we are right now. We're we're suffering. Uh, and of course, he's writing to the church in Rome, persecutions that, that are, are happening and will happen. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So God's glory that will be revealed, future-oriented in us. For the creation, and, and I always say, you know, this this work of, of uh, the kingdom is, is a universal work. It has to do with even the creation that was affected by the fall. And we'll see this here. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Okay, and, and that that verse, I think it's one of those we pass over pretty quickly. But the creation itself is waiting for the children of God to be revealed. And, I, and when I teach this, I always say, who are the children of God? What do you think? Who are the children of God? Uh, the the church, God's okay. redeemed. Us, right. We, we are yeah. God's children. And, it, and so it says the creation is waiting for. For the children of God to be revealed. And see, I think people think, you know, they start thinking eschatology. They're thinking some kind of angelic thing or whatever. So so I always then kind of stop and I ponder this. What, what, what is the creation waiting then for? What what does it mean for us to be revealed? For If we, if the children of God is, is indeed us, which, I mean, how many passages can we look at that talk about that? John chapter 1, we're children born not of natural descent, right? But uh, right. Uh, we're children of God. First uh, John chapter 3, we're children of God. Um, Galatians chapter four, uh, five, uh, you've been made children of God. We're adopted as sons. Uh, in fact, the adoption of sonship, Paul mentions again here a little bit later in Romans chapter eight. We are God's children. So what is the creation waiting for? <laughs> right. I think it's waiting for us to step up up and do what we are we are expected to do. It's it's waiting for that mm-hmm. revelation. Uh, so so you see this the creation waits. In eager expectation, there's no better definition of hope than eager expectation, right? Uh, the, the creation itself waits in eager expectation for God's children to, to step into what it means to be God's children is the way I would put it, but to be revealed. For the creation itself was subjected to frustration. Frustration is this idea that we're not able to accomplish what it is that we are meant to accomplish. So the creation itself had a purpose that God made for it. And it was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. We don't have time. We should come back and talk about this another time. There's different views of, of who it is that subjected it to frustration. I'll tell you what I think. I think the creation was subjected to frustration because of hum, humanity's choice. You can call it Adam if you want, but it means me and you, <laughs> right? Gotcha. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
you, you see what I'm saying? The, the creation yeah, yeah. is subject to frustration. It's not able to accomplish what because God man. meant for it to because of our sin. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, that's the whole thing. Even creation, if you look at Genesis 3, uh, you know, the, the earth's going to, even the ground's going to produce thorns and thistles now. Um uh, well, and we could even look at chapter four. Uh, anyway, we'll look at that another. There's time. a lot happening there. A lot yeah, happening. So. A lot going on. Creation yeah. was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but the will of one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So, we are even leading as we've talked about the kingdom part of it is healing creation itself it's part of our responsibility um we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time even creation paul says is groaning groaning in childbirth i always say the you know child childbearing has to do with pain and and this goes back to genesis 3 as well with uh, pain you will give birth to children God says to to Eve there because of you eating of this fruit that I told you not not to eat of it. But the interesting thing about childbirth is that it brings joy. It's it's pain, but it ends in joy. And it, and it kind of mirrors this idea of our hope. Right? We we we're in present sufferings now, Paul says. But we are looking forward to that glory that will be revealed in us. And, and so it's that same thing with childbearing. It's a painful experience. It's a painful process, but there's joy uh, at the end of it. But not only so, it says we who ourselves have, have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption of sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. So the idea is even we are waiting to be transformed. We're, we're looking forward to the the you know, uh, fruition uh, of the redemption that has begun in us. Paul finishes then this section, all the way goes on, but, but hope that is seen is no hope at all for who hopes what they already have. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And that's, that's what hope is about. That's what Advent that season is about. Recognizing God's promises are true. We absolutely trust that God's promises are true. But at the same time, we recognize that we are not yet where those promises have come uh, come to fruition. Uh, so that's why Advent's a great season. Uh, it's it's born in darkness, as they always say. You know, Advent begins in darkness um, because the people in, in the Old Testament were waiting for, they were waiting for this time of the Messiah. And we now find ourselves in a parallel situation, a cold, dark winter with rumors of war, but we wait because of the promise that we have of the return of the Messiah. So. Yeah. When, when, when all things will be reconciled, yes. creation and, and weapons, because there is no need, yeah, in us, right. we'll, be, yeah. We'll, we'll give them up because yeah. there is no need. Yeah. And even yeah. our bodies That's, will be redeemed, it says. So thank God for that. So. I'm doing pretty good. I'm well, kidding. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have, I'm I'm have a lot of carbs tomorrow. <laughs> so. Well, good for my, you. My son said, uh, do you think five pounds of mashed potatoes is enough? It's like, probably no. enough. <laughs> no. There's you got to do a whole 10-pound bag. There's only seven of us, so. Still not enough. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Appreciate jumping here to Advent. It's and, always nice. Uh, Advent season's always a nice time of the year. Yep. Excellent. Well, I'll look forward to coming back uh, here next week. Yeah. Another Isaiah passage. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, All Brian. Right, see ya. Bye. Bye.